Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's been a relatively quiet week at the state legislature due to the inclement weather. They've been closed, I guess, the last three days of the week. However, it's been a busy news week in several other ways. Uh, perhaps most notably is that uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine. And I know many of our listeners are watching that uh, through the news, through social media. Um, I, I think I speak for my co-host and saying our hearts uh, and prayers go out to those living in Ukraine that are, um, you know, having to shelter in place or in underground bunkers. Um, I, I cannot imagine what it would be like to live in a war-torn area. And our appreciation for our journalists who are on the front lines yeah. reporting on what's going on to make sure that we can stay informed. We we value their their service and the free press. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm always amazed at the number of people that I know that have ties to areas like this, right? And in fact, one of our board members, Aaron Harrell, um, served in Ukraine in 2017. He posted some photos on social media the other day of some of his friends he met there and still stays in touch with. Um, and, you know, certainly was thinking about them. Um, also here uh, domestically here in Oklahoma, the news that I think we'll talk about first is that uh, one of Oklahoma's U.S. Senators, Jim Inhofe, has announced that he is resigning from the U.S. Senate at the end of this year, just two years into his six-year term. While the state legislature recently changed the law that would permit the governor to appoint a replacement, the timing of his resignation, that is, before March 1st, in an even-numbered year, means that Governor Stitt does not get to appoint someone to fill his space. Instead, a special election will be held this November, and that means that both of Oklahoma's U.S. Senate seats are up for election, with one incumbent uh, being James Lankford seeking re-election, and now this other seat that is essentially wide open, or as wide open as any statewide elected office is in Oklahoma. Uh, joining me to talk about these, uh, and we're going to really walk through the law and all the potential candidates that might pile on to this race uh, are my two lovely co-hosts, Bailey Perkins-Wright. Hello. Hello, Andy. And uh, Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What's up, dude? What's up? I want to start by saying I am not a candidate for the U.S. Senate seat. I would also <laughs> like to add that I am not a candidate for the U.S. Senate seat. I'm I'm undergoing careful discussions with my family, uh, reviewing uh, reviewing all of the uh, responsibilities I have at my personal and work life, and and carefully uh, considering whether I should. Uh, no, I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> it does have a ring to it, though. I'm not I would. Um, um, Nah, I uh, I will I will not be I will I will not be a candidate for uh, uh, United States Senate in Oklahoma this cycle. And when I say that, you can count on you can count on you can count on it. Uh, it is one hundred percent true. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a, this is not a Mark Wayne Mullen situation. <laughs> and we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, maybe let's start by talking about Senator Inhofe and his legacy. We just looked all this up. He is the fourth oldest member of the U.S. Senate at the ripe old age of 87. And he has famously said, including in 2018, no, 2020, when he ran for re-election, that he would continue to run as long as he could fly his plane upside down. Do you think this means that he's no longer able to fly his plane upside down? He's often a man's word. So I wish that the listeners could see your faces as, as you struggled with how to answer that. You know, I mean, he, he was, he was, he was doing it two years ago when he ran for election. It was in one of his campaign ads. Um, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is that, uh, Senator Inhofe, uh, no longer has the, uh, the, uh, you know, um, aviation you know uh adventures that he's that he's enjoyed for the last three years whether he's not doing that anymore whether this is just him saying hey i'm kind of tired i'm you know i'd like to spend some more time with my family i don't think that it's a coincidence that he chose this date you know uh he 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 i think he chose this date specifically so that that uh 
um, also said, I think he chose the state so that he could make sure that his uh, his replacement would be elected in a special election and not by gubernatorial appointment, even for a temporary length of time. Um, um, well, and I just want to add before we get into discussion that um, he's also among the longest serving U.S. senators um, currently sitting. I'll say, because there's been some that have served way longer than him in the past that are no longer living. Uh, but he is among um, one of the more senior members, not even of age, but even just length of time served. Um, I was four years old when Jim Inhofe was elected U.S. Senator of Oklahoma. So this is definitely um, a huge day for uh, folks like me who have only known for the most part in Oklahoma having a a U.S. Senator as Jim Inhofe, right? So this is this is going to be a different era for Oklahoma. Well, and you mentioned legacy, Andy. I think Senator Inhofe has, you know, I think I I I think you can you can certainly have, and there will be differing opinions about what his what his legacy is. But I I certainly don't think you can make the argument that he hasn't been consequential. I think that most people, you know, I think the thing he is probably most famous for um, um, is his, uh, you know, I'll call it a stunt where he, he brought a snowball onto the floor of the United States Senate uh, ostensibly to prove that it was snowing in Washington, DC. Therefore climate change must not be real. Um, That's probably the thing that he is most well known for, but he's been, he he's, he's, he's done a lot of big things. I mean, he has, personally ensured that tens of millions of dollars have uh, come back to Oklahoma for various projects. He has helped Oklahoma survive uh, unscathed through several rounds of base closures, um, bringing new personnel to Tinker, to the bases in, in Altus, to Fort Sill. Um, he's He's been really active there. He's the chair of the Armed Services Committee, so he has a lot of, of, of uh, authority in that realm due to his seniority he's able to you know he's, oh, ranking he's member to, now but yeah he's the rank he's the, he's the ranking member now but when the republicans have had the majority he's been the chair um you know he's uh due to his seniority he's able to get a lot of things added into bills he's able to you know people talk a lot about uh the dreaded earmarks um he's been able to use those very effectively he's had a long career in public service his longest obviously has been in the senate but prior to that he's been in the congress he's been a mayor of tulsa um well, no, I said it. Was he in Congress or just the state legislature? I don't remember, but I can find out. Because he was he was three he was a three term mayor of Tulsa. He ran for governor, I think, once and lost to Bourne. And then I think he also lost to Bourne for the Senate seat initially, but then he won the Senate seat when David Bourne retired. That's correct. Yeah, he ran for Congress um, and beat uh, then state senator Frank Keating in the primary. But he lost to Democrat James Jones in the general in 1976. Yeah. So, um, so. Well, and one other important piece to add to his legacy um, that has caused controversy for him was defending the election results, right? Senator Inhofe said the 2020 election was legitimate. Right. And he mm-hmm. took a lot of flack for from his party for having that stance, you know, regardless of how he felt about, you know, the outcome of the election. He did acknowledge that um, it was fair and secure. Right. And so I thought that was a huge part of his legacy that will probably be, you know, controversial among his base. Even, I mean, even in the last week or so, right, his statements regarding the Russian invasion of Ukraine, his statements uh, in response to some things that former President Trump has said uh, were pretty, I don't know if they were scathing, but uh, well, probably to Trump they were scathing, right? But he has been, I I would say, a staunch um, defender of election security and of of democracy in those ways. So, well, Good luck to Senator Inhofe in his waning years. I hope he really gets to spend time with his family and his plane. And And continue flying that plane. (laughs) That's right. Well, um, this leaves then a big hole in the uh, Oklahoma power structure. I I, I think we should talk about um, the speculation that I think everybody has is like, well, who's going to run for his seat? And I I think there's there's a few that we know. Uh, there's a few that we don't know 
yet. Uh, and then there's a lot of speculation about others, right? And then there will be others that will probably surprise us as we get closer. Filing isn't until April, right? The middle of April um, with the primary in June. However, I expect over the next, I don't know, week or two to see a lot of people pop up, right? Uh, and so... And Andy, all of what we're discussing is all predicated on the timing of his official resignation. Right. Yeah. So I mentioned in the intro that because he resigned before March 1st um, this year, it means the governor doesn't get to appoint a successor. And I, as Scott said this, I think that's significant, right? That that tells me that he didn't, even though the legislature just gave Governor Stitt the authority to do that, um, he uh, he didn't allow the governor to do that. Uh, and I think that says something perhaps about how Senator Inhofe views Governor Stitt. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I don't have any insight into this except to say I don't think it's an accident, right? Like, I don't think this is, I don't think this is just, uh, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's just coincidence that he's timing this in such a way that it means that the governor won't get to appoint his replacement, even temporarily. Right. And I think, I don't know if I've said resign, I think he's officially retiring. Um, and he's said that he, um, is yeah projected to re- to resign March first. Um, well, but he but he will continue to serve right in the Congress until January third of twenty twenty three, um, which is when of course will be sworn in. So so he is going to he'll be in Washington. He'll continue working, um, and and the and Oklahomans will not be uh, missing a senator, um, for the for the next several months, which is important one because we're supposed to get two, so it's good that we'll have two, and also because as as people may or may not be aware, the Senate Senate currently stands at 50, 50, it's a 50, 50 tie. So, uh, so, so, um, it, it does matter, um, that that seat is, has a bottom in it. That's right. Every, every, every seat matters. Well, definitely matters to conservatives to ensure that, uh, policies aren't pushed through. So, right. So for, to, to maintain that, um, that power, because the the um, number of senators is so close, he had to not have a gap. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so we've kind of compiled a list of the names that we've heard or thought of ourselves. Um, you guys just want to go down the list, just take one at a time and kind of go through it and, and say what we know about that person. Then we can discuss whatever else we might add. Sounds yeah. Good. It, you know, it's kind of going through this. It's really, I'm just going to start. Is that fine? Yep. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. So, so it's funny because, you know, yesterday, um, you know, we saw this, uh, we, we, this news broke yesterday that the Senator was going to be uh, retiring and the three of us immediately started texting and we had some kind of names that we threw out there of like who we think it's going to be likely. And then who's, you know, who's the Senator going to endorse. And then Andy, you know, we both texted some other folks. I'm sure Bailey did too, of kind of asking other people we know that are, that are, you know, Oklahoma political aficionados, what their thoughts were. And, and we, all of us were coming up with really similar names. And then today or last night, I guess, uh, Jim and no, this morning, Jim and came out and said who he is endorsing and who is the first official candidate. And it was someone that not only was not on any of our lists, it was someone that none of us had ever even heard of. So the first candidate declared uh, is a, uh, is a, uh, is a guy named Luke Holland. He's currently Senator Inhofe's chief of staff. This is the person that was not on anybody's radar, at least not on, at least not on ours. Um, he, uh, uh, he's a young guy, graduated college, um, late, late in the, in the late, uh, 20, the, the aughts, I guess is what we call them. Right. Um, and started working for the Senator, at that time, uh, rose up pretty rapidly through uh, through his through his office to become uh, his chief of staff. Um, Senator Hoff speaks very highly of me at a press conference this morning, uh, where he said that his uh, his number one priority uh, as a United States senator will be to fight Joe Biden and socialism. Um, which you know, I mean, Joe Biden only has for sure three more years in office, and there's not socialism in the U.S. So, I guess he's not going to have a whole lot to do as a senator if that's his goal. Um, uh, but he is he is the first declared candidate, and importantly, he is the the one that uh, Senator Inhofe has endorsed. Now, cards on the table. Do I think that that is going to be enough for him to be the guy that wins? No, I don't think so. Um, uh, but I do think it's telling um, that the senator has decided to uh, endorse Mr. Holland as opposed to some of the more 
you know, high profile and I think more more likely candidates. I could be wrong. It, it could be that Luke Holland turns out to be a, a a gifted campaigner and captures the hearts and minds of Oklahomans in a way that nobody has since Will Rogers. But, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see if Inhoff puts any money behind his endorsement, right? He he has money in the bank in his pack, and he could uh, transfer that. That would change the dynamic. I'm we'll sure see. that's what that means for sure. I, one would think, but I guess we'll find out. Um, I'll go next. Uh, so Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen um, has not quite yet officially declared. However, the Washington Examiner and Politico are both reporting that sources close to him say that he will run for this seat um, and uh, it's expected probably to announce in the next week or so. Uh, Congressman Mullen, of course, somewhat famous because he uh, announced that he was only going to run for two terms or three terms in Congress. I forget if it's two or three. Either way, he has surpassed that. He just, he, oh, he said two and then he ran for a third. Everyone's like, bro, what happened? And now he's like, oh, I'm also running for a Senate. It's like, okay, so that just meant nothing. Um, so that'll be interesting. I, I think this is probably a good acknowledgement point that because Oklahoma has two Senate seats, historically one has kind of been for Oklahoma City and one has been kind of for Tulsa, right? There's been like this unexpressed expectation that that Senate seat is held by a Tulsa. That has not been the case always, but uh, I think since um, Robert S. Kerr was in office, I think so. Um, all right. Well, and the next person um, on the projection list is potentially Congressman Kevin Hearn. Um, he is among the newest to the political block um, because he um, is a McDonald's franchisee owner. And so that's where his um, notoriety and wealth developed. Um, uh, according to Wikipedia, I mean, he bought his first McDonald's in Arkansas and then expanded his businesses into 18 franchises, which gave him his connection to Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, where he serves. And so when Jim Bridenstein uh, left Congress and went to um, NASA to lead the agency as its administrator, um, he ran for his seat um, for, for Congress. And so that's where um, his space opened up for him to, to serve in uh, public service. But it is rumored that he also would consider um, this run for the open U.S. Senate seat. Next up, we've got uh, former State Representative T.W. Shannon. Uh, Mr. Shannon is previously a member of the uh, Oklahoma House of Representatives. He was never in the Senate, right? Just the House. Uh, he uh, was the Speaker of the House. and The I, I first many... African-American Speaker That's of the true. House in Oklahoma's legislature. First African-American Speaker of the House in Oklahoma's legislature. He's been out of the legislature now since like 2012-ish. 14? Because he ran for U.S. Senate when the seat was open after Coburn left and ran for it against Lankford. Absolutely. And uh, was not was not successful then. But, the you know, I think a lot of people expect that he's going to uh, he's going to try his hand this time. I believe Mr. Shannon is originally from Lawton. Um, and right now he yes, is. Sir. He is working. Where does where's TW work right now? He's for he's uh, he runs the Chickasaw Bank. That's what I thought, right? I knew he was doing with one of the tribes. So um, I think, you know, he's an interesting candidate. I think he would have the potential to be pretty formidable. Um, he's also the chair, I think the national chair of... Uh, of uh, Blacks uh, like, for Trump. Blacks for Trump. Yeah, yeah. I, I I knew that's what it was, but I wanted to make sure I said the name correctly. Yeah. Because um, I could remember the exact name of it, but he's uh, uh, certainly an ally of former President Trump. And, you know, that's... You know, I think that's going to be, I mean, let's be honest, like we'll just say this now, this is going to be a, a freaking feast of people trying to out Trump each other, right? Like that's what this is going to be. Um, well, so. and Scott, one thing I'd add to that too is that he's been um, very vocal doing national um press interviews and and um, being one of those uh, essentially talking heads on many of the national programs right and so he although he has left elected office he hasn't left the political space and he's made more of a national presence 
through um, his appearances on Fox News and other stations, um, and then um, through his um, active and overt campaigning for um, past President Donald Trump. So that's T.W. Shannon. I think he has not announced yet. No one is. No one, as far as I'm aware, has reported that he's going to run. Um, I think there are lots of people, kind of in the political space in Oklahoma, who will be really surprised if he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't ultimately ultimately declare and run for the seat. Who's next? Uh oh. Uh oh. It's interesting to me about Shannon. One other comment on that is that he, when he ran for Senate before, he stepped down as Speaker of the State House. Right? He was. Speaker of the House and stepped down from that. And he was endorsed by Ted Cruz and Sarah Palin in that Senate race. And he still lost to Lankford by like 20 points in the primary, which is uh, significant. So um, uh, next we have uh, Senate State Senate Pro Tem Greg Treat. Um, Senator Treat previously worked for um, Senator Coburn, Tom Coburn in the U.S. Senate. He was... Um, field director or chief of staff or something. Uh, but it was very, very tight with Coburn. Um, Senator Treat, uh, when Senator Coburn died, he said he's only feared two, fears two things in life. It's like God and Tom Coburn, right? So they were very tight. And uh, also Senator Treat's wife, up until just a few months ago, worked for Senator Lankford. Uh, and then she left. And a lot of folks saw her departure there as perhaps indicative that Treat was in, intending or expected to have the opportunity to run for Inhofe's seat. Um, and so we'll see that. Uh, Senator Treat terms out of the state Senate in 2024, so he's halfway through this last term anyway, and he hasn't made any announcements about what's next. He's a long-term political uh, elected official, and I think this makes a lot of sense for him. The downside, of course, is that he's in Oklahoma City, so he wouldn't be able to claim the geography of the Tulsa seat. That's true. Well, and the next person um, that we project to uh, consider entering the, the race for the open U.S. Senate seat would be uh, current Speaker Charles McCall, um, who has a, a traditional path when it comes to um, engaging in politics. Um, he lives in Atoka and was uh, president of a bank. Um, and he also served in his um, city's uh, city council. Um, and I believe um, served in another role as mayor of Atoka as well before running for the legislature. Um, so he's continued to, to elevate, especially as um, a leader and champion of rural Oklahoma. Um, and even the dynamics of his role in the legislature has been um, a champion on rural issues from, you know, perspectives on um, issues related to schools and other things. And so, um, but he is projected. So uh, Speaker McCall uh, has been speaker for, I believe, four or five years now. So a uh, six, I'm sorry. So he's been speaker for six years. Um, so we we project him to be in the running. You know, that's it's interesting because he's I think he would be a formidable candidate. He he has the money. He can raise the money to run. He has the money to run. Um, you know, I don't know. And I, I don't know the speaker. So I, you know, I'm 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 this is just speculative. I don't know that he wants to be a U.S. senator. Like, I don't know that that's his, like, end game. Maybe maybe it is. Um, maybe that's exactly what he wants. Um, he's one that I think he is – he's definitely – it's definitely possible. Of everybody that we have on the list, I think that if, if Speaker McCall runs, he's the one that I would be the most surprised about, actually. Uh, I think he's got to be in the discussion, but I think I, I would be the most surprised. Well, and I will say before you go into the next person, I mean, he's one of the few who bring true rural um, presence to the race, right? Which would be um, unique in a way for him to be able to to capture um, a different um, subset of the, the voting base who has been very activated, especially um, after... Um, the Trump years, right? And so he definitely could have um, potential from um, who he could activate in the base. 
I mean, you can't win statewide without real support. And it's interesting because then McCall is from Atoka, right? And has those tribal backgrounds uh, or tribal relationships. And so does T.W. Shannon down there. Uh, and so that would be splitting some of those supports in uh, potentially interesting ways. So next up is somebody who I think uh, I'll be I'll be really surprised if he doesn't run. Uh, and that is current Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's in some ways a natural fit for this. I think, I think, uh, there's no doubt that he has, uh, ambition to continue holding statewide office. He's been Lieutenant governor, uh, since 2018. He's currently on the ballot, uh, to be Lieutenant governor for another term. Um, he, uh, um, uh, yeah, I think he's 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 got a lot of national credentials. He's done a lot of work with Re- Republican Party at the the GOP at the national level. Um, I think he would be uh, probably pretty impressive in terms of his ability to fundraise. Um, and yeah, this makes a lot of sense. He's got he's already won statewide office. He's got name rec- recognition. He's got the ambition. Um, yeah, I think I think Matt Pinnell would be a likely and formidable candidate. Also, he's just super likable, and he's got that yeah. party, that long deep party yeah. connection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, he's considered like the brand ambassador of the state. And there's a lot of. He went to 77 counties, got 77 endorsements and got about 77 votes. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, obviously I'm being I'm being facetious, but he he did. He he did not do particularly. uh, He did not do particularly well. in his last campaign for statewide office. And honestly, I, 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 I think I, I think he'll run. I don't think he'll fare any better this time around. (laughs) And I think there were a number of factors that contributed, right. That I think will still remain in this race. Right. There were a lot of people pursuing um, the open gubernatorial seat. Right. Um, We had um, uh, Mick Cornett, who was projected to, to do well. And, and I mean, so when you start having so much factions of the vote, it does make it difficult for um, people who have certain ties within um, the party sphere in that um, primary uh, to be able to, to get ahead. And I think um, the number of people that were entered into that race made it possible for Governor Stitt to have had that opportunity as a novice in politics. Um, Because also at the same time, we had something mirroring at the federal level with the presidential race. We had a whole lot of folks pursuing office to uh, be president of the United States. And Donald Trump was the candidate that elevated to the top of that ticket as a novice to, to politics. So I think when you got a whole lot of people running in a race, different candidates have different ties from their experiences and their political knowledge, right? That sometimes make it advantageous for what would traditionally be the underdog to, to elevate closer to the top. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, Bailey, I know we're going to have some discussion about this next one. I'll let you lead it off. Sure. So um, another person who's projected to to potentially run is um Governor Kevin Stitt himself, right? Um, Governor Stitt um, ran for governor of Oklahoma in 2018 when uh, Mary Fallon's seat, um, well, when she turned out as governor. Um, As I just mentioned, there was a whole lot of folks trying to pursue that open seat, um, but there was a... um, culture of people wanting someone who a was a business person but secondly would do something different in government right there was this growing frustration of um quote unquote career politicians that people wanted to see someone come in and reinvent government and that was the campaign that governor stitt uh brought to the table which was very similar and mirrored, you know, the promises that were made by um, former President Donald Trump, right? And so um, it's really interesting that um, from um, some of the decisions that have been made by Governor Stitt to have national attention over his four years in, well, 
three and a half, I guess, at this point, um, as governor of the state, right? He hired a DC um, staffer, right? To have relations there. He's been on uh, national news and um, has said a lot of things to spark public conversation, right? Um, so, um, but also, um, and Andy, did you want to lift this piece that he says that he wouldn't run for the seat, but you never know. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is a good point to highlight a couple of things. Um, one, yeah. So Chris Castile in the Oklahoman has a quote from Stitt uh, in which the governor says that he will not be uh, seeking a run for the seat. He says, my focus continues to be on delivering a top 10 state by working with my friends in the legislature to advance transformational conservative reforms that protect freedoms and benefit all 4 million Oklahomans, um, which is a lot of buzzwords in one quote. Uh, it doesn't It doesn't say no, that he's not going to run in that quote. Maybe he did prior to that, but he didn't. A classic politician move, right, is to deny without denying, right? So if someone said, are you going to run? He just said, my focus is on doing this. Well, his focus could be on doing that while in the U.S. Senate, arguably, right? Well, because he even mentioned um, months ago about the border crisis, right? <laughs> and, and made the trip um, to the border um, where Lieutenant Governor Pinnell like, had to fill in in those, in those days you know, as acting governor. And so he's done a lot of things that point to larger interests beyond serving as governor of, of Oklahoma and pointing to reforms in his top 10 agenda as things that could be, you know, model for the country. Um, so to your point, Andy, um, what happens and who will run will just depends on what we see. So people can say, you know, I don't know, I'm not going to at this time, and then may still show up on on that ballot. So well, we'll and see. I do think it's interesting. I mean, one, Governor Stitt has, has said, I think, on a couple of occasions that he um, intends to run for president in the future, and so that's still hanging out there, right? Uh, but secondly, think about the timing here, right? Inhofe signs. So there's four years left on his term. And at the same time, the governor has one more term as governor potentially, right? So if, if Stitt gets reelected in November, then when his term is up will be also when this seat comes up for election again. So he could potentially run for this seat in four years if he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't try to run for president in two years. And even if he does, for that matter, he could come back and try to run for Senate in four. Talking about Kevin Stitt running for Senate has given me a migraine. Um, and that's that's, fine. that's all it takes anymore. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I will be surprised. I think if he does this at this point, well, you know, I don't know that I don't know that you can simultaneously campaign for governor and uh, simultaneously campaign for governor and the Senate. So he'd have to drop his campaign for governor, um, um, which would which would create a big hole there. Um, you know, I don't think, I don't think the governor has ever actually said that he wants to run for president. There have a lot of people who have asked him about that and he's given the, I don't know that he's ever said no. I think he's always said my focus is on 4 million Oklahomans and being the best governor I can and yada, yada, yada. Um, there's a lot of speculation that he has his eyes on the white house um, in the future. I don't think there's any doubt that that's his, that that's his goal. Um, and so I think, you know, I think he's trying to, I, I think that if, I think he, I think that he would say, you know, what's going to serve that goal better? Another four years as governor or running uh, to, to be in the U.S. Senate? You know, the on the plus side, um, even as a former governor, assuming that he was to win in December, if he ran in six years for the Senate seat, he'd be running a, probably against an incumbent, which is always an uphill climb, even if you're, even if you're uh, a statewide elected official. So, and Scott, and even running as a governor for president is still challenging. We've had some in the past, but it, normally, you know, people have that Congress, U.S. Senate, presidential pathway to to that office. So 
you know, I think the biggest hurdle for Governor Stitt might be, you know, he he might have to really contemplate the fact that as a United States senator, you have to show up and vote, and you have to do that quite frequently. Uh, Governor Stitt uh, hadn't shown much propensity for voting until he decided to enter politics in 2018. Uh, this, when he voted for himself was the first time he voted in about 20 years. So someone, if he, if he decides to run, someone should make sure that he knows there's an expectation that you uh, that you do attend the votes. Um, our next uh, our our next person and uh, long long time listeners of the show uh, will will hear that music in the background and say. Uh oh! Oh God! Can it really be true? I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, you know who's out there is Scott Pruitt. Nothing, nothing could stop Scott Pruitt from running for the Senate seat. Um, you know, we haven't heard from Mr. Pruitt in a long time. I think he's a registered lobbyist in Iowa. I don't know what he's up to. I try not to think about it. Um, I, I think we should not spend too much time on this. And uh, God help us if we have to break out the Pruitt Watch music again after today. You know, never say never, Scott. Never say never. All right. So the other person is Gittner Drummond, um, who is currently running for attorney general. Uh, and so he would have to abandon that. Um, however, he is running against incumbent, quote unquote, incumbent attorney general uh, um, John O'Connor. And so having an open seat might be a, a more uh, appealing. Certainly it's a higher office than state AG. Uh, so I've heard his name thrown around a lot. You know, I think there's always some folks that were in the question of like, will they abandon their current race and and take this opportunity now that it's open? I think Drummond is interesting because I believe he is somebody that could also self-fund, right? Or, or self-fund to a large degree. Isn't he, isn't he pretty comfortable? I know very little about Gittner Drummond other than his name sounds like a radar. Even if he can self-fund, if you struggled in an AG's race, then a U.S. Senate race will be pretty challenging, especially one that has a larger lineup of people. But I think all of these people have enormous egos. So that's, <laughs> I think, you know what I mean? I think if you, I, I think you're 100% right, Bailey, but I also think that if you're someone who decides to run for the United States Senate, you're not lacking in self-confidence. Um, and so I think I think you're right. I think, I, I think there's a lot of people on this list who really have, are not going to be the next senator from Oklahoma, but I think they might think they're going to be the next senator from Oklahoma. To that end, we've got one more person on our list of potential Republican candidates. Bailey, you want to tell us all about him? Yeah, so this person um, is not someone who has shied away from controversy. So Jackson Lehmeyer um, put his name in the hat originally to run against um, Senator Lankford for his Senate seat. Um, he describes himself, he's a, he's a local pastor in the Tulsa Metro. Um, he describes himself as a businessman, a conservative who puts America first. And he spends a lot of time on um, social media and has received national um, attention for some of the controversial things that he's done. So for instance, when it came to um, the pandemic, there was um, rumor that he was telling people that he would, um, if they gave basically to his church, that he would help provide documentation to help them get around, um, like I think it was like vaccine requirements, maybe, or like the yeah. He he said he said he said that if you gave a donation to his church, he would sign a letter. Uh, that was your religious exemption, a, a religious exemption from vaccine requirement. You know, in the old days we called that selling indulgences, but uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, and then just even when it comes to a lot of far right rhetoric, he um, ties himself to people to like Michael Flynn and other things that he's brought in um, for fundraisers um, and events in, in the Tulsa Metro. He is a person who is a denier about the pandemic, right? And continues to have uh, massive events. Um, and he's a person that makes Senator Lankford a seem like a moderate, right? <laughs> um, that's how far to the right his politics are. And so currently he and um, Nathan Dom are um, in the running uh, to challenge Senator Lankford for his seat. 
But to the point of this conversation, the easier battle, instead of trying to um, unseat an incumbent, and when you look at you know, the polling data, it says that, you know, Senator Langford is still well ahead. But if you read Jackson Lehmeyer's Twitter account, you'll see that he thinks he's close into the running. <laughs> but it gives people a better shot to have an opportunity in an open seat and also an open seat that has a lot of people running. Right. Uh, he has the um, never been in politics before, never served in public service, but has these convictions and ideals that would attract the the Trump base, right? And, and so that would give him a shot in this open um, Senate seat. So we could see him transition over from running against Langford to now running into the open seat. All right. Well, we've talked about a lot of Republicans and there may be others, right, that we don't know about that may file for this seat. Um, of course, it's an open seat, which means that Democrats have a shot of running for a statewide office, not against an incumbent, which is rare, and arguably gives them a better chance at at winning than it does against an incumbent because incumbents have an incumbent advantage. Um, so there's a number of Democratic names that are being tossed around, and of course, we will uh, go through those as well. Scott, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so uh, the you know this this news came out yesterday, and uh, I started getting some texts. I think Andy, you probably got some texts. Bailey, you might have too. Uh, lots of people saying, "Dude, so so is Kinder Horn going to run?" Um, you know, Congressman Horn, former Congressman Horn, uh, served uh, uh, two years representing Oklahoma's fifth congressional district in the United States Congress, uh, losing a very close race to Stephanie Bice in 2020. Um, you know, I think a lot of people see her as as a natural fit for this. She's not ever run a statewide race before, so she certainly would have a lot to do in terms of building out that infrastructure. But she has a fundraising network in place. She has a lot of volunteers in place. Um, she's won in Oklahoma as a Democrat, most recently not statewide, but she won. She is the highest profile Democrat to win uh, a, a race that's outside, you know, the the, the state legislature. So um, she would be, you know, I think I think she would be someone that uh, a lot of folks would see as a pretty uh, formidable candidate, despite the fact that she has not run a, a, a statewide race before. In terms of whether or not she's going to, she hasn't said. I don't know. Um, you know. So, but I think on that's... Twitter, we did see those <laughs> eyes that indicated right after the announcement <laughs> that there could be some consideration. Right. She she did she did put out the side eye. So um, you know we'll see. I I I assume that means she's thinking about it. And uh, you know if she if she decides to throw her hat in the ring, I, I would imagine we'll know about it sooner rather than later. Well, and Scott, a couple of things I want to add, um, you know, and, and not any type of favoritism as my former boss, um, but Congresswoman Horn um, worked diligently to ensure that she had support from both Republicans and Democrats when she made her run. And I think that's an advantage point that not only did she have support from both sides of the aisle, um, when it came to like the base, but also like there are people who would give from outside of CD5, right? So she has like donors and supporters in other parts of the state who see her run or saw her time in Congress also as representative of them too, right? So if she were to make that run, it wouldn't be foreign for people in other parts of the state um, to know her name, but to also be um, interested in, in supporting her run. 100% agree. 100% agree. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think, I, I think Kendra's probably the best known Democrat statewide right now. Um, other folks that might consider it, uh, current House Minority Leader Emily Virgin, right, who is terming out this year? Is she terming out this year? I think yes. She is. Yeah, she is. Um, I so, mean, and at this point, she would have nothing to lose to make this run for U.S. Senate, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so that's an option. Um. So on our list as well is uh, former uh, Congressman Dan Boren, who comes from a lineage of powerful politicians um, in Oklahoma, and he also has um, 
uh, tribal citizenship, which um, adds another dimension of, um, you know, the influence that he he continues to have even his time, you know, being outside of Congress. Um, he served, I believe, 2005 was when he left, if that's correct. So it's it's been definitely well more than a decade since he's been in the political space, but him not serving doesn't mean that he doesn't continue having the ties and relationships and, and, and power that he had as a former set of, uh, a former congressman. So he was in office from the second in the second district from 2005 to 2013. So he's got eight, eight years and uh, uh, he was uh, uh, he was succeeded uh, by Mark Wayne Mullen. And, you know, Dan Boren, Congressman Boren, former Congressman Boren. This is a really interesting one to me. He's got. So one, he's he's from he's from quote unquote the right area, right? Like he's from Tulsa, number one. Number two, he has name recognition statewide because he's from the Boren family political dynasty, right? So his his name is instantly recognizable as you know someone who's associated with a long history of in Oklahoma politics, right? Three, um, he is a Democrat. He is extraordinarily conservative. <laughs> you know, I think when he was in office, he was rated maybe the most conservative Democrat in the Congress. Um, I think given the current makeup of the Democratic uh, caucus in the Senate, he would be, uh, he, he might out conservative Joe Manchin, in which case, you know, you would say, well, then why isn't he, like, is he just a Republican? Um, and I would say, I, I would say, no, I think if, I think if Congressman Bourne ran, I think he would be very conservative. I think he would certainly be in some ways a thorn in the side of, of some of the democratic le leadership. But I think, I don't know this. I think that he would caucus with the Democrats. I think he would support the Democratic uh, agenda on uh, judges and those sorts of things. Um, so, so he would be a very, very, very conservative Democrat, but a, a Democrat nonetheless. Um, and so, for those reasons, I think that if he could win the primary, I think he would be potentially a, a formidable, uh, a formidable general general election uh, candidate. I have no idea if he's interested or if he's enjoying life in the private sector. But, but Scott, I, I think if he were to put his name officially on the ballot, that would deter other candidates from running, at least the ones that would have, you know, the greatest likelihood to win because uh, he has the ability to fundraise at the level that's going uh, to be necessary to win a statewide U.S. Senate seat. Uh, he has the relationships across the state from um, his time as um, a congressman, but also his family ties, as well as um, his his leadership. I believe in the financial sector. I believe he he's in banking as well, and so um, he has all of the pieces that if there were a Democrat that had a strong likelihood to win, that that he has the the strongest probability to, to do it. Yeah, just for just for you know uh, for context, uh, in 2008, uh, Dan Bourne was appointed to the board of directors of the National Rifle Association. In November 2009, he was one of uh, 40 Democrats uh, to vote against the Affordable Health Care Act. Um, he was in January 2011. He was one of three Democrats to vote with uh, Republican caucus to repeal the ACA. Um, he'd he'd be if he. If he won, he'd be he'd I think he'd be a Democrat, but he'd be a conservative Democrat. Absolutely. All right. Uh, up next, we've got uh, an interesting name. Now, this is I feel like it's important sometimes when we throw stuff out there. This is entirely speculative. This is this is from our brain trusts, and we think this would be interesting. Um, Chuck Hoskin Jr. Uh, so, if that name sounds familiar to you, he has been in the news a lot lately as it relates to uh as it relates to gaming as it relates to uh uh spats with the governor uh mr hoskin is the principal chief of the cherokee nation um he has never run for statewide elected office in oklahoma at least as far as not as far as i know um obviously though he would uh, uh i think as a as a tribal member and a chief of one of the major tribes in Oklahoma. He has a, a, a natural base of, of support there. Um, so he would be a really interesting candidate, I think, uh, and potentially formidable. Well, and he's also really elevated his profile in the public fight against Governor Stitt on tribal sovereignty and the McGirt ruling, right? And so I think uh, between, especially because the the 
leadership and the, the, the chief and governors in the five tribes um, have elevated a campaign um, educating the public about the partnerships and impact of tribal nations, right? The billions of dollars that are being put back into um, Oklahoma's economy, into infrastructure, uh, the job creation, um, even in the response to COVID, right? Um, when we talk about um, Oklahoma's ability to distribute vaccines as quickly as we were able to, a lot of that was tied to our tribal nations. And so they have been actively having those public conversations about um, of those partnerships. And I know that Chief Hoskins Jr. has been at the forefront of not only talking about um, the impact and, and the leadership that has been provided, but also being willing to, to stand up and push back. And so we've seen a lot of those public conversations that I, I think could, could then translate to a larger office at, at, at the state level. Uh, another potential Democratic candidate is former state uh, House Representative Scott Inman. Or um, former he, minority leader. He was a minority leader. That is correct. Uh, and he uh, left in 2018. He termed out in, in 2018. Uh, and since then has worked in banking. He was uh, vice president of lending at First Oklahoma Bank. Uh, and then for the last year and a half or so, he's been chief business development officer and VP of Commercial Banking at Simmons Bank, based here in Oklahoma City. Uh, I, you know, Leader Inman was is a, a fiery debater. Um, says you know he was exciting to watch when he was in the state house, and it was widely rumored to be planning a run for governor um, at that time. And then uh, and he then was he de he declared and started right. campaigning. He was campaigning and then he uh, pulled out of the race. That's right. Um, and so, you know, I, I think he's got some interest. A lot of folks are really passionate about him. Uh, he has been a little bit absent from the political field. And I feel like that's, you know, when we because of controversy, though, a lot of yeah. that was tied to controversy. Yeah. yeah. Potential uh, rumors of a scandal. Right. And, uh, you know, when we were making the list of all the potential candidates coming up with Democrats that might have the statewide name recognition to run for this was a bit difficult. However, I mean, a lot of folks didn't know who, uh, um, uh, the, who Drew Edmondson was before he ran for governor, even though he had been AG, but a lot of folks that were new to politics didn't know the name, uh, despite his family history <laughs> with, with politics. So it's not insurmountable, but I think it would be a, uh, a difficult row to hoe for leader Edmond. Yeah, especially because when he was minority leader, he had that momentum, right, building. And so that does become challenging when something happens, you get put out of the spotlight for a little bit, um, and then you try to reignite that fire, and that can be um, an uphill battle. It's not impossible, but it, it could be uphill. I think you're both right uh, in, everything that, in everything that you say, but but here's what I'll say. Um I think, and, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know leader Inman. I'm a leader Inman well. Um, but, but there are, I, I, I think he would be, I think he would be a pretty formidable candidate. Maybe not. Um, you know, the kind of the, the, you know, rumors and whatnot that that preceded his exit from the gubernatorial race, notwithstanding the fact that he has been out of politics for a couple of years, notwithstanding. Um, there are certain people who I think when it comes to retail politicking, you know, meeting people, getting in a room, shaking their hand, looking them in their eyes and, and talking to them. I think there are certain people who are who are just gifted at that, um, and I think that there are certain people who are very gifted in their ability to to stand up in front of a group of people and just talk. Um, and I think that Leader Emmett is someone who is 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 very talented at both of those things. That doesn't mean that you can win a Senate race in Oklahoma as a Democrat or anywhere else, right? Um, but but I think I I wouldn't count him out. I think, though, Scott, that skill matters at 
when you're running for, I was going to say at the, at, the, at the state level, if you're running for a state Senate seat or I would even say like a district area, it's a lot tougher at a statewide level when it really is a money game and a numbers game and having the right messaging afoot. So you can be the strongest person on policy. You can be, you know, a an incredible, you know, orator and all that kind of stuff. And that doesn't get, you know, people over the finish line when it comes to um, these million dollar races, frankly, right? And so I think that's one challenge. And then also, he's going to be tied with the urban core, right? That's another thing that he's going to have difficulty on is being able to connect to rural Oklahoma to be able to mobilize them to show up to the polls um, in a way that's already going to be uphill with Republicans having higher voter registration, right? <laughs> and so at least like a couple of the other candidates that we've mentioned, you know, at least have ties beyond the metropolitans that that could make their um, campaigning um, more easier, I'd say. For sure, for sure. But I'm, but I'm gonna yes, but your yes, but though. <laughs> so in two thousand in two thousand and eight, when Jim Hoff was running for re-election, I was talking to a guy, a uh, uh, guy who'd been in and around Oklahoma politics for a long, long, long time. has has worked as a lobbyist, has run campaigns, been in campaigns that knows inside and out. And I was, you know, uh, asking if uh, if there was any chance. That Senator Inhofe might lose his reelection bid. And he said, no, zero. I said, why? He's a Republican. He said, no, it's not because he's a Republican. Now things have changed in the last 14 years, 13 years. I'm not, I'm the first to first to admit that. But he said the reason is because he said Jim Inhofe won his Senate race because he's got that little plane and he flies around to all the small towns in Oklahoma and he does that every year and he can walk into any small town in Oklahoma and he walks into the diner and he knows the waitress by her first name and he knows the farmers by their first names and he asks about their kids and he asks how they were doing and he remembers the conversations that they had that the last time he was in. So I think you're 100% right. I think that it would be, I mean, it's gonna, let's be honest, it's going to be an uphill climb for any Democrat in the race, no matter what their background or their, their strengths. But I do think that even at... Even at the level of, even at the level of a, even at the level of a statewide race like a senator, a senatorial campaign, I do think that your ability to politic, to do retail politics and connect with people matters. And I also think that in any race, whether it's a congressional race or a state legislature race or a race for president, I think the one thing that matters more than anything else is your ability to tell a story that people can connect with, right? People vote as much for a vision as they do for a person, especially in higher profile races. Um, and so I, I just think, I think leader Inman tells really good stories. <laughs> so, that's all, you know, so I don't, I don't, and again, we have no idea if he's, we have, we have no idea if he's even running. He may not, you know, he may not, he may not even, uh, he may not even run. And if he, if he does, if he does, he may fizzle. I just think I think he has a skill set that would would serve him really well. Fair enough. I look forward to finding out. And he was a exciting campaigner to watch. Even if a Democrat doesn't have much of a shot uh, at winning, it might make for a good campaign, which would be a uh, good fodder for the podcast, right? All right, so I think we got two left on our list. Is that correct? Um, one is Madison Horn, who is actually currently running for. Uh, Senator Langford's seat. So this would be similar to Jackson Lehmeyer, right? Someone who was running for one Senate seat that has an incumbent moving over to one that's an open seat. Um, I don't know that she is planning to do that. Similar to Kendra Horn, no relation. Um, Madison Horn tweeted, uh, not quite side eyes, but like a little hmm. emoji with the news of, of Inhofe's resignation on Thursday. Uh, and so we'll We'll see what happens. All I know about her is from her social media profiles. She's some kind of cybersecurity expert. Um, I don't really know much else besides that. I mean, and when we look at the list of people who could potentially run, I think she would have uh, the least likely opportunity to, to win the race um, from very low uh, name recognition um, to 
the ability to, to fundraise, right, at the level that requires to be able to make those touches around the state to um, just a number of, 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 of things. And even touching back to the, the conversation that we were just talking about moments ago, um, with even being able to ter- tell a story and cast a vision, when you look at the Republican side, you got a whole list of people, a majority of the folks that we talked about earlier on the pod um, have that ability, right? Governor Stitt is skilled at crafting a message and telling a story, right? <laughs> Whether you agree with it or not, he is good at, at telling you about being a top 10 state and saying that Oklahoma is open for business and, and all of these different messages, right? And so it will be a competition of values just as much as it is about being able to craft that story and that vision and and, and being able to bring people out. But the last person on our list is a person who's no stranger to the U.S. Senate race and as of lately, um, no stranger to current controversy, and that's Abby Broyles. Um, Abby uh, has a background in um, news as a former, former K4 journalist. Um, and then she left journalism to go to law school. And after she completed law school, uh, she decided to challenge uh, U.S. Senator Jim Inhofe in his race um, previously for, for U.S. Senate. What was like, what, two years ago now um, that she decided to, to run? She raised um, a significant amount of money um, and was able to, to build a campaign. Um, but it was not enough to um, defeat the long-term incumbent that Scott described as the person who could take that plane and make everyone feel in, in different communities that they know him personally and know them by name, right? That's, 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 was it going to be an uphill battle even from the beginning when she, when she put her name on that ballot? Um, and so right after that campaign, she launched a initiative called GRIT. Um, that was focused on activating um, millennials and youth engagement and voting um, through digital platforms. And I believe others in the general public, but I I think the niche was um, through the um, uh, digital uh, voter engagement. Um, And then most recently, because there's always been rumors about the way that she treats people, whether it's her staff or others. Um, and it came out recently that she berated, uh, berated um, some teenagers, uh, said a couple of racial things to them, um, and threw up because of drinking too much with the medication. Um, and then she said, I wasn't there. And then it came out that she was there. Um, and a whole lot of, you know, back and forth with the press who said, listen, we're just reporting the facts and we're reporting what you said, right? And so it's been an interesting battle because someone asked, uh, there's a reporter who asked uh, Abby Broyles, are you going to suspend your run for U.S. um, for for Congress? I'm sorry, because she recently announced within, I would say, what, the past eight to 10 months, not quite a year, that she would be running uh, against uh, Congresswoman Stephanie Bice for Congressional District 5's uh, U.S. uh, representative seat. Um, And with this recent controversy, she was asked, would she continue running? Um, She said um, that right now she's just taking a break from social media, from the attacks. And she, at this time, didn't have plans to not continue running for CD5. Now that this new um, information about Senator Inhofe not running for re-election, um, there could be a pivot in the strategy, right? Because even with this controversy and the conversation that's been happening, it's been happening on a national scale. I've had friends from other parts of the, the country that were sending me links about like, oh, like, um, you know, what is this about, right? And so sometimes they say that, you know, not like all press isn't bad press, right? <laughs> so she's had more name recognition as of late. So who's to say that she wouldn't um, change course and potentially enter into this U.S. Senate race? 
That's tough. Yeah, no, no such thing as bad press unless all of the press is bad. All right. Well, uh, is there anybody else we haven't mentioned yet? Oh, Scott, just put in our private chat. Uh, I will say two names, right? Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt and Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum. Um, I have not heard those names floated around, presumably because Holt just won re-election like this month. <laughs> and then, uh, and I think is under no auspices that he could win a statewide elected race as a Republican against some of these other names, right? It will just be really tough in a primary. Yeah, I think right. if there was a way for Mayor Holt to propel to a general election, I think that gives it a different feel, but it'll be very, very tough um, for the um, moderate stance that he has publicly taken and is talking about his approach nationally of leading a city of Democrats, Republican and independents, right? That's not exactly attractive in a partisan primary. <laughs> so it, that would definitely be an uphill battle. So yeah, if we had open primaries, right, like a top two or top four system, I think uh, someone like Mayor Holt would have a much better shot. And considering he filed bills for open primaries when he was in the state Senate, I think he agrees with that. Uh, I think similar story for Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum, right, who I think probably skews a bit more conservative than, than Mayor Holt. But I also think that uh, because of the need, as we mentioned earlier, to secure the rule vote, it might be tougher for some of these guys um, to, to do that because they're from the cities, right? All right. Well, hey, this has been a nice long episode talking through all the possibilities. Listeners, I hope you feel more informed. Bailey, thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you, Andy. Scott, thank you as well. It was a delight. It's a delight. Um, reminder that next uh, Thursday, March 3rd, is the committee deadline in the state legislature. All bills need to be out of the committee in their chamber of origin by uh, midnight on the 3rd. That means there's a lot of bills they got to hear next week because they didn't hear very many this week. It also could potentially mean, and I say this because I've noticed a few bills that have been reassigned to odd committees, right? Like bills dealing with homelessness being assigned to the energy committee, specifically in the Senate. I wonder if this means that they're going to have to like just redisperse bills to other committees to get them heard in order to get them through by the deadline. That uh, comes with its own share of problems and something that those of us who watch how legislation moves will be, pay be paying very close attention to. And when we convene next week for our podcast, uh, we'll be talking through what made it and what didn't, but mostly what made it because those are the ones we're most interested in. Although there's always a few that don't make it that then come back later in session, right? Uh, so we'll bring that up next week. Nothing's ever dead till it's dead. That's right. Uh, until then, listeners, have a good week. Stay warm. Uh, enjoy the warming temperatures over the next week. And uh, remember, decisions are made by those who show up. See you next week. <laughs>